God Network News. Where we give you a new perspective. On events happening in our world today. This is GNN. This is God Network News, episode 41. Welcome, GNN fans, to another episode of God Network News, the podcast that tells you what God's doing around the world, not what CNN tells you, but what GNN tells you is going on in the world. If you're tired of listening to all of that crisis network news and you want to hear what God's doing, well, give us a listen. This podcast is proudly listed at podcastpickle.com. In this episode of GNN, uh, we will be continuing with our reading of chapters from the new book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. And I hope that you're enjoying listening to these chapters. And again, this is our gift to you, our faithful listeners, as a free audio book to you of this really fantastic, really exciting, new and innovative book that has come out by Brian Hogan. And again, in the show notes, you can find a hot link to where you can get your own hard copy of that if you wish. One of our sponsors is GoDaddy.com. And GoDaddy.com has just recently told us that we could give you a special deal. If you click on the GoDaddy.com icon on our website and go to GoDaddy.com, anything that you purchase there, you can get a 10% discount if you put our promo code in there. Our promo code is CJC and then the word SAVE and the number 10. Again, that's C-J-C-S-A-V-E and the number 10. And then you'll get 10% discount off of anything that you order through GoDaddy.com. Visit GoDaddy.com today and get all of your internet needs taken care of. Today on God Network News, we'll be listening to uh, the author of There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, and he'll be reading chapter six of his very exciting book. I hope you're enjoying this ebook that we're giving to you on God Network News. And as new news is coming in, new exciting stories, we're doing podcasts in between the chapter readings just to keep you informed of what God's doing around the world as you're listening to this exciting new book that is the testimony of a family of missionaries who have gone and seen a people movement, really literally a new and modern people movement amongst an unreached people group, a very large one, the Mongolian people. We're going to listen to the next chapter, chapter 6, as Brian Hogan reads that chapter for us. There's a Sheep in My Bathtub by Brian Hogan. Chapter 6, Home for the Holidays. My biggest worry, as our Miat jet touched down at Buyant Unka International Airport outside Ulaanbaatar, 
was not whether we would clear customs or cross the border, but whether I'd find a place to take my four exhausted ladies after leaving the airport. There was no one in Mongolia expecting us, no one who knew God had done the impossible in Beijing and that we were arriving on this frigid February day. I kept up an enthusiastic front for Louise and the girls. They were all weary of traveling and happy to be off the crowded plane. We ended up last in the passport line, which gave us time to fill out the arrival cards and customs declarations. With multiple forms to fill out and passports to juggle, carry-on luggage to push along, and three active girls to corral within this slow-moving line, I had plenty to occupy my mind and body. The North Korean wrestling team was ahead of us in line, and they played with Melody and Molly as we inched forward. Even so, I couldn't stop thinking about where to take us once we finished at the airport, or even how. Not speaking the language was surely going to present a challenge. The only hotel I knew was way out of our price range, and I couldn't direct a cab to anyone's address. By the time we made it past the border police, our visas all in order, our luggage was waiting almost by itself in the baggage area. It looked pathetic and lonely sitting there on the metal ramp, and I couldn't help but feel that we might be looking the same way in a few minutes out in front of the airport. It didn't take long to gather up our bags. We only had eight suitcases. The airline luggage allotment said two bags apiece, and we had assumed that this was the maximum we could take with us. We didn't realize that we could have taken extra bags and boxes as over-baggage. At any rate, we had trouble moving with the heavy suitcases we had, since Louise and I were the only ones who could lift them. The other airports had all provided carts, but not Ulaanbaatar International. The entire arrivals area comprised just two large rooms, one where we had been for the past 45 minutes, and another we were about to enter. The sight of Lance Reinhardt waiting for us outside the heavy double doors made our day. I breathed a big sigh of relief when I heard my name shouted and saw his smiling Oregonian face. We'd last seen Lance at the graduation love feast for our School of Frontier Missions in Salem. He'd been in Mongolia for a week already, having come in after his training in Hong Kong with the rest of the team we had planned to be on. He was, as they say, a sight for sore eyes. A young Mongolian named Amgalan Batar had also been waiting for us, ready to help with translation and the luggage. As we hugged and recounted our adventures, Lance briefed us on the local situation and where we would be staying for the first few days. The national holiday that was going on was our biggest problem, he explained. The team consisted of three single ladies, Molly, Ruth, and Laura, who'd been in Mongolia for a year already and knew the ropes. Molly is an Oregonian, Ruth a German, and Laura is from Michigan. The new arrivals on the team, a family of five, and Lance, all serving with Jim's company, had been eating in restaurants since the hotel rooms had no kitchens and the store shelves were bare. The problem was all the restaurants were closed for the Sagansar holiday. It was highly ironic. The chief danger of this Mongolian holiday is forced overeating to the point of bursting, like a Thanksgiving afternoon that goes on for a week. Yet we were facing a three- to four-day fast... All of this feasting takes place in obligatory parties at homes of friends and family, both of which we lacked. There is no commercial food production in Mongolia during this New Year's bash. There's no need for any. At any rate, by the time we had caught up with Lance and been filled in, our overloaded cab was pulling up in front of our hotel. Our initial impression of our first home in Mongolia was not good. However, 
since the second and third impressions and those thereafter that first week were progressively worse, I remember having the warmest feelings I was ever to have for the Builder's Hotel. This was the translation for the, for me, unpronounceable Mongolian name. I would never be able to tell a cab driver where we were staying. I ended up memorizing how to direct them from a famous monument that I could get my tongue around, and then using about a quarter of my vast Mongolian vocabulary, Zungartish and Barungartish, turn left, turn right. The hotel building seemed about average. It was concrete, gray and crumbling. At least we had a place to put our stuff, beds to sleep in, and a large tub to soak away the travel. Lance introduced us to the other family who'd just come in with Jim's company. Bruce and Terry and their three children had been YWAM leaders in Hong Kong for many years. They had flown in from Hong Kong the day after Lance and were fulfilling a ministry dream by coming to Mongolia. Tired as we were, getting some dinner was a priority, so the hunt for dinner was on. Tally-ho! We bundled the girls and ourselves back up in the layers of clothing necessary for survival at 20 degrees to 30 degrees Celsius below zero, or negative 4 to negative 22 Fahrenheit, unknowingly beginning a ritual activity that would dominate our lives for four Mongolian winters. Amgalan turned up as we were leaving the hotel. He seemed happy to guide 11 hungry Westerners to dinner. As we picked our way carefully over the broken sidewalks, he chattered away in much better English than you'd expect in a 19-year-old with no formal language study. He informed us his Christian name was Adam. We walked to the first restaurant, the Ulaanbaatar Hotel, only to find its cavernous dining room closed for Sagansar holidays. Adam hailed cars enough to cram us all into, and off we went to the next possibility. We eventually drove to four restaurants and found every one shut up tight for Sagansar. This holiday is the equivalent of American Thanksgiving. Everywhere around us, apartments were filled with people having huge banquets, straining the limits of how many booths, steamed meat dumplings, the human body can consume. And we could not find a bite to eat. We now had driven all over the capital city and had six cranky and very hungry children beginning to lose it. Adam was getting desperate. We had just failed again at a Chinese restaurant near the state circus when Adam saw a woman hurrying down the other side of the street. He ran across the road and accosted her. We assumed he either knew her or was hoping that she knew of yet another dining establishment we could waste our time going to. Then he came running back and told us to come along. He'd found food. We followed this woman on foot for several blocks before she turned into a small gare district. This was the first area we had seen where buildings were not concrete. Mostly we could see yellow and green fences, but where a gate was open we saw the neighborhood was a collection of fenced yards with one or two homes inside each fence. The houses were either the traditional Mongolian felt tents or small two-room frame affairs covered in plaster. The woman turned into one of these yards. As we followed her inside the gate we saw two gares with light pouring out from the door and smoke hole skylight. She motioned for us to come inside. As the others were ducking carefully one by one through the door, taking great care not to step on the threshold, which is a taboo equivalent to stepping on the homeowner's neck, I pulled Adam aside and asked him, what were we doing here? This lady will feed you, he said, glowing with pride in a job well done. Is this woman your friend? I was eager to know how this had been arranged. No, I went to school with her. I was stunned. I looked, and half my family was already inside the gear. What? You do know this family, don't you? He didn't. 
he had just asked the woman whom he knew was heading to her family feast to include 14 of us into her dinner plans. And she did! I was uncomfortable with this arrangement, but since everyone else had completed the greetings ritual and been seated in the cramped tent, I had little choice but to follow them in. The others all assumed we were meeting Adam's family, or at least close friends. The knowledge that these were almost perfect strangers whose party we were crashing I kept to myself throughout the evening. My knowledge made me all the more amazed at their incredible hospitality. The patriarch grasped each of us by both arms and sniffed each cheek in the traditional Sagansar greeting. We made our attempts to stumble through the traditional Mongolian responses to his questions. Are you well? Are your animals well? Are you wintering well? Are you getting fat? While those who hadn't memorized any smiled and nodded mutely, somehow they managed to seat all of us around the brightly painted orange table piled high with food. The entire roasted back and grapefruit-sized tail of a fat-tailed sheep formed the centerpiece, along with a cake-like tower of stacked hard sweet rolls and mounds of rice, potato salad, and coleslaw. The family immediately shoveled more food than any of our hungry children would ever eat onto their plates, and the kids dug in. For us adults, there was one preliminary to eating to get out of the way. On my exploratory trip into Mongolia the year before, I'd learned the hard and fast rule of Mongolian hospitality. You must drink the three shot glasses of vodka the host pours for you. You have never experienced persuasion until you have tried to avoid the obligatory vodka. Women can get away with merely touching the glass to their lips three times, and the host ritually splashes a refill into the glass each time, even though nothing was consumed. However, the men do not get off so easily. So we three men, Lance, Bruce, and I, gamely choked down our firewater, and then were able to dig in. What an incredible meal. They pushed food on us until we could not eat another bite. Hunger makes everything taste wonderful. Well, almost everything. To honor us, they gave each adult a slab of pure white fat, carved from the sheep's tail. To the Mongolian palate, this is the best part but it was all I could do to bite off pieces and swallow them whole without retching. I felt like when I was a little boy being forced to eat my beets, except this time the reward was less tangible than apple crisp for dessert. It was cultural sensitivity. Every one of us was determined to learn and adopt Mongolian ways, even if it killed us. As the vodka and mutton fat lay congealing in my gut, I wondered if it just might. After we'd finished eating a quantity of booths, the girl Adam claimed to know from school came out and laid a dish towel on the table, and then returned to the kitchen. I picked up the dish towel, thinking it was provided to wipe the gobs of grease off our hands, and proceeded to do so. Just as I laid it back on the table, she returned with a stack of bowls. To my horror, she took up the dish towel and wiped all of the bowls. We then graciously received the bowls, which she then filled with milk tea, all the while nearly biting our lips off to keep from bursting out in laughter. The food was never cleared, but when we could cram in no more, we moved into the singing and sharing portion of the evening's festivities. A small gift was given to each of our children, whom I knew to be uninvited and unexpected guests, and each adult was expected to sing a song. I sang Home on the Range, which I introduced through Adam as an American song about Mongolia. Then we shared back and forth about who we were and where we were from, with Adam gamely translating. 
All of us had a good time with our hosts, but finally the children were coming apart and we had to leave to get them into bed. We shared warm goodbyes and bundled up and left the warm and glowing tent for the cold, starry darkness outside. We little dreamed we would never see this family again, but none of us ever managed to retrace our steps to that particular neighborhood. It took us half an hour to get a couple cars to pack everyone into for the ride back to our lodgings. The children all fell asleep and had to be carried through the lobby and upstairs to bed. As Louise and I finally settled into our own bed, I told her about how our dinner had been arranged. We laughed at the strangeness of it all, and then lay there filled with awe at the thought of going to bed in a place more foreign than we had ever imagined. We really were at the ends of the earth. Thank you. 